This is Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. This episode first aired on Practice of the Practice. You can find it at practiceofthepractice.com. It is a podcast hosted by my friend Joe Sanok, who is a counselor who runs a private practice and also runs a fast-growing business on helping other counselors be entrepreneurial and run their own practice. So we cover a lot of things from entrepreneurship and education to uh, getting in a flow state, trying to optimize your work and your life. If you want to hear more from Joe, he was on an episode just a few weeks ago, episode 46 he came on the Isaac Morehouse podcast and talked about his work. But you can check out um, anything you want to hear about his work at practiceofthepractice.com. Enjoy the interview. Isaac Morehouse, welcome to the Practice of the Practice podcast. Thank you, Joe. It's uh, wonderful to be here. Oh, man. Like, we have been friends for so many years, and it's so good to hear your voice again, and you're doing such cool stuff. Like, I'm just so excited for my audience to meet the one, the only Isaac Morehouse. Well, I was going to say, normally, you probably, when you hear my voice, you expect it to be backing you up with some sweet harmonies, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Isaac and I used to be in a band called Second Floor Jungle. Uh, you may have heard of us because we were that famous. Um, <laughs> and we would practice in my bedroom in, on the second floor of a house that I had painted the entire inside like a jungle. So uh, we had two other members and yeah, life life is good yeah formative experience and it is wonderful to hear from you as well yeah i think a lot of it's funny a lot of our marketing uh, and things we learned trying to sell a band that was less than stellar but somehow <laughs> like got gigs uh that was probably part of our formative marketing years oh i mean you you were a whiz back in those <laughs> days somehow you would negotiate That's with these guys who'd never heard us to throw in, you know, free pizza and gas money uh, when we would come and play. Yeah, we would like to have only green M&Ms. <laughs> <laughs> well, Isaac, you a couple years ago launched Praxis, which you wrote a blog post on Practice of the Practice back when Practice of the Practice was a really ugly website. And tell me about Praxis. Like, where have you been? Maybe introduce people to what the concept of Praxis is. Absolutely. I, th we could get a little tongue-tied here with Praxis on Practice of the Practice. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll do what we can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Praxis is a one year program that gives bright, ambitious young people in sort of the 18 to 25 year old range the chance to go and work with an entrepreneur, with a small growing business or startup um, during the program and concurrent with their work experience there. They're doing a really intensive education program that includes a lot of um, everything from how to build your own website and build your own brands and business basics like cash flow statements and accounting to even some liberal arts type stuff. Uh, you know, the philosophy of work, you know, examining philosophy, history, economics, a lot of personal coaching with weekly sessions with a Praxis advisor. And it's all kind of built around the participants own goals and aims. So it's, it's unlike most structured education, instead of saying, here's what we think you need to do, jump through these hoops, memorize these facts, and you'll get you know, some sort of award or certificate or star. We ask the customer or the participant, what are your goals for the end of this year? Is it you want funding for a startup? Is it you want to be uh, offered a job at your business partner or somewhere else? Is it that you want to have uh, opened up some kind of online store or have published certain number of articles? Whatever those are, 
we work with you to build these monthly sort of challenges. We call them PDPs, professional development projects every month centered around those goals. And your Praxis advisor is meeting with you weekly. We have monthly group discussions, a private Facebook group, um, you know, email exchanges, things like that to help you. And, and a whole library of content that we host on our site that you have access to, to help you achieve those goals and reach those, those tangible outcomes. So the whole idea of this one-year program, whether you're doing it instead of college, as many people do, uh, and they end up getting hired right on at a great company um, that they want to work at, or you do it as a supplement to college during or after, um, the whole idea is recognizing the way that the world is changing. You no longer have to pay a bunch of money to get a degree, which is really just a, a credential, a signal that says that you are worth hiring and hope that that carries enough weight to get you the kind of life that you want and the career you want. It's really taking an entrepreneurial mindset and saying, all that matters is the value I can create. And can I prove to the world the way I can create value? Can I, can I show them instead of just telling them, look, I have this degree, show them, look, I've done the following things. Here are the tangible results. So that's kind of the mindset and the thrust of the whole program. Well, and I love it because like knowing your personal background of homeschooling and, you know, going to college early and graduating early and all of that, like it matches your kind of non-traditional education background that has made you into a really amazing entrepreneur. Well, it absolutely does. You know, it's, it's, it's really the people ask, well, when did practice start or how did it come about? And, and it was kind of like, there was like a 10 year delay. When I, was, I was a seven year old boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. When, when I was in college, I was like, okay, this is all cool. It's all fine. I enjoy some of the discussions and things, but most of the things that I learned and enjoyed were things that I was kind of discussing with my friends anyway, just books I was reading, coffee shops, whatever. And I'm paying to go to college. Meanwhile, I was working. I worked my way through college and I was working two days a week or three days a week. And on the job, I was in over my head every day. I was learning so much and I'm getting paid for this. And I thought, it's so weird that these are totally separate, the work experience and the so-called, you know, sort of educational experience. And really the one where I'm learning the most is the one that I'm getting, that I'm getting paid for and not the one that I'm paying <laughs> for. And, um, you know, and I thought that the, when you, when you really boil it down, I kind of, I kind of realized what people are buying when they go to college. They're not buying the knowledge or the network or the experience or the, I mean, those things are all good and everybody likes them. But if you wanted all of those things, you could just move to a college town, never enroll in classes, uh, just sit in the classes for free without registering, uh, go to the party. You could do all of it. You could have all of it. The reason people pay is for that credential, that degree, because it's a signal to employers that you're worth more than the average person. And as that signal is declining in value, which, which I could see even then, but now all the more, and as there are more and more tools, like now you don't need a resume, you have Google. People will Google your name. They'll see what you are. They'll find out your track record. If I look up Joe Sanek, I don't need you to send me a resume or show me where you graduated. I'll find practice of the practice.com. And I'll be like, this guy is amazing. Right? So <laughs> seizing that new world, it took me a long time to kind of figure out how to make this happen. But, um, I tell you, there are businesses everywhere, especially smaller startups and, uh, you know, sort of entrepreneurial businesses that are hungry for young talent and they care about what you can produce rather than um, how much schooling you have. Yeah. So take us back to like your homeschooling and, and college. And I mean, I feel like like knowing your mom, I called her KM. Her, her name's Karen, um, Karen Morehouse, um, but also for Kalamazoo mom, um, because she really was like my mom in Kalamazoo. Um, I feel like she just gave you a different homeschooling experience than a lot of just 
homeschoolers I've met. Maybe just speak to some of that because I think that it's such an interesting story of kind of where you came from and then how that's like informed praxis. Yeah, it's it is it's incredibly interesting and I and I have only become conscious of it in the last couple of years really. So um my mom, uh, I have two siblings, so the three of us, she basically raised us and homeschooled us in addition to taking care of my dad. When I was three, my dad was in a car accident and he has a closed head injury. And so he's he's in a wheelchair, he has no short-term memory, he can't walk, he has it basically requires care 24 seven. So we have home health aides in and out of the house uh, and my mom doing a lot, us kids doing a lot. And they had decided to homeschool us before the accident and my mom continued on with that. Um, and so partially her personality, she's kind of, she's, she's a real socialite and um, always talking with people, doing all kinds of activities, over committing <laughs> to things uh, <laughs> and uh, not, not super organized. Um, and partly because of all of the work she was doing to try to take care of my dad and homeschool us, our homeschooling was basically like very, very laissez-faire. I mean, it was very, very unstructured. Um, and she always felt bad for that at the time and was like, oh, we should be like these, you know, families in these magazines who are all like churning butter together at four in the morning, <laughs> you know, go, they're, all, they're all fluent in Greek and Latin at age seven and all this stuff. And we really weren't. I mean, it was very I, I pretty much played Legos and played sports and did household chores and very little else. I took we took homeschool classes. We had a pretty vibrant community of homeschool sports and things like that. And, you know, I remember doing my mommy like you need to do your, you know, algebra Saxon algebra one half. It was a terrible, thing. <laughs> yeah. and, and I would sit there and I would do it and then I would grade it myself. Um, and, <laughs> and I would just get it done, get it out of the way. And, you know, even then I kind of thought like, I'm sort of cheating. Like, what if I'm dumb and I don't know anything? I, you know, cause what there wasn't at the time, there wasn't a word for it that I knew of, but today it was basically unschooling, which is a, which is sort of a growing movement. And, and my wife and I are basically unschooling our own children, um, which is kind of just letting kids do what they want to do and understanding that the innate human curiosity and, and interest in learning things that are meaningful to you um, will get them where they need to go. And it's very scary at first, but, um, but so having that, you know, I always had jobs and earning income from a very young age because I was always very interested in that. I was always saving up money um, and just having that level of independence. I went to a private high school for my sophomore year because my brother and sister were at that point basically never home. And a lot of my friends had gone to the same high school, um, mostly for the basketball team. It's <laughs> um, <and so laughs> a thriving like, basketball yeah, team. Yeah, of course, because, you know, the homeschool team was competitive, but it wasn't as competitive. <laughs> Um, it's hard, you know, it's hard to play basketball when you're, when you're wearing a, a bow tie and an Amish. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> They're not all like the stereotypes. So, so I went to this private school for my sophomore year and it was fun and the social elements were, were fine and were enjoyable, but I always felt like it was such a waste of time. For one, I couldn't work. I was used to being able to work during the day and, you know, do paper routes and do lawn mowing and, you know, pro probably, I'm sure it was probably illegal child labor or whatever, but. Um, I'm but, sorry. I just, I just had this image of like the 1920s, like Titanic sank, like <laughs> selling newspapers. <laughs> Read all about it. Yeah. That was pretty much me. I was a newsie with a little hat and everything. Um, Please, sir. My name is Isaac Mohouse. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, I, it's it kind of feels like that now i feel old looking back but um there was no internet back in those days <laughs> so so i felt like well what's weird is we're all on the same schedule and it's so artificial like some of us can go faster some of us slower so i went to community college for my last two years of high school so i remember my when i was for my first uh, semester at community college i had to wait for my mom to pick me up and drop me off because i didn't have my license <laughs> so i think i was 15 when i started there and um 
I actually enjoyed that quite a bit because I could pick my own classes and set my own structure and, um, you know, kind of do things at my own pace, which I was used to and, and be able to work a couple days a week still. And then from there, I transferred to, to Western Michigan University and, and finished my bachelor's. Um, I graduated when I was like 19 with, with my bachelor's. Yeah, you. I remember you had graduated college. You were married and owned a house, but you couldn't buy alcohol for yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's my first year of marriage. My my wife is uh, about two years older than me, and so we would go <laughs> we would go trick tree shopping, and I had to wait in the car because they would cart us both if we bought some wine or beer or something. <laughs> so you know, I think all of those things, having the level of independence that I had, um, as in through my education. I didn't recognize it at the time. I just thought I sort of got away with, you know, sort of cheating. Uh, and yeah, good for me. I, I made it through uh, without doing all this formal, you know, time being being structured in a classroom. Now, the more that I've read with my own children, I've really started to delve in to theories of education and things like that. And I actually have come to believe that that level of freedom and autonomy I had was huge and it kept alive a sort of entrepreneurial independent spirit that I think has served me has served me really well. So so tell me about Praxis. Like how how does it actually like what are the nuts and bolts of it? So so I've got a 19-year-old who hasn't gone off to college. They don't fit the typical mold, but they they seem like a good fit for Praxis. Like what would they experience as they go through that program? Yeah, absolutely. And and it's really it's a mindset above anything in terms of who, who the program is a good fit for. I, I kind of think of it, it's like that person who, in any environment, they're usually, they usually sort of win, so to speak, or they're capable of winning if there's some artificially defined, like, okay, here's what you do to succeed in this environment. But they're often bored in many environments. Like, okay, I, I know what it takes to succeed in school, but this doesn't really thrill me. Um, I want more. They're, they're the kind of, they're, they're always doing like a side hustle. You know, they're like selling Twinkies on the playground and they're like, <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're curious and they're interested in, in doing a lot of things and learning uh, fast and learning from doing. So let's say you're, you're 19 and Maybe you've, this is really common. You, you've had a year of college and you realized, okay, this isn't all that thrilling to me. I thought it would be, I thought it would be all the things that high school wasn't, um, but it's, it's too similar. I'm, I'm bored. I feel like I can do more. So you apply to the program and we have kind of a multi-step application process. It's about, it's, it's pretty competitive. I mean, about 15% of applicants get accepted. Um, and once you're accepted, then we work with you to place you with a business. And we have a network of business partners across the country. We have over 200 business partners across the country and in a variety of industries, but they all tend to be like five to a hundred employee companies where the founder is still actively involved. They're still in growth mode. So they're not just sort of repeating the same thing. And where participants are going to be doing like real tangible work and not just sitting in a, in a cubicle farm with a bunch of other interns making coffee. So we work to place you with a business partner that matches your sort of skills and interests. And often young people don't really have any idea. They're like, oh, I want to work in marketing. You're like, okay, why? I don't know, because I saw Mad Men. You know, <laughs> you're, like, <laughs> yeah. you're like, okay, well, you know, here's a company that does, uh, you know, uh, financial business to business services and or or a company that is even in some form of, you know, manufacturing or a medical tech startup in Austin, Texas. It's not marketing, but the experience you'll have, trust me, like this is really good for your skills. So it's, it's really valuable for them that we can help with our knowledge of our business partner network, find something that's that's a good fit. Um, so we match them up with their business partner 
And uh, often that means moving to a new city during the program. Uh, we tend to encourage that because I think you actually get more yeah. of it that way. But um, some people are geographically bound and we and we can almost always work with them because we have business partners in, in almost every major city. Um, and then when the program starts, so it's 12 months, the first two months are what we call a boot camp, And you're not working at your business partner yet for the first two months. You are, uh, first you build a website. We go through, we give you a whole bunch of um, sort of a course on building your own website, um, building your digital brands. Um, you're doing things like blogging every day for 30 days while you're doing that, which is really, really uh, intense, but really valuable at getting you in the mode of creating as a discipline and kind of just taking ownership of your own brand and your own presence. Um, that's month one. Month two is, is basically an entrepreneurship boot camp and really getting you geared up to understand what you're about to go into at your business partner and how to really how to really kill it there. And then you so, start. So oh, let me let me pause you there. So those first two months. Um, so from the like your side of it, like how much of that is like in person, face to face via Skype, like tech takes actual staff time and how much of it is sort of an automated process? Yeah, so it's. It's really what we're trying to do is combine the hugely valuable um, resources that online education and technology uh, offers us, but to to combine it with real genuine personal touch so that it's not just like, here, go log on and watch a bunch of videos. You know, um, it's you have a we have a we have a, a portal that you get access to. And once you enter it, we have all these modules and that's where you access all of the content. So there's a whole bunch of content. We're always updating it and it's all really the best of everything out there. So there might be um, some, you know, episodes of the Tim Ferriss podcast or an mm. article by somebody or a book, uh, you know, the startup of you or zero to one or whatever it might be a whole lot of things in there. And you're kind of going through those like, OK, this is the content for this module this month. And you kind of go through it at your own pace. And wherever you are uh, via via the Internet. And then there are usually a couple times a month, um, two, two times a month, every two to three weeks, there is a group discussion with all the participants that's done via Zoom, which is a web uh, video conferencing uh, technology, which is really, really awesome, by the way, if you want something that's uh, better than Skype or Google Hangout for having a lot of people on at once on video, zoom.us. It's wonderful. Um, is it? What's the cost for that? Uh, it is free, I believe. I think you can pay for a premium account, but you can you can use it for free. Wow, that's great. It's really nice, and it's less buggy and laggy. So we'll usually have a guest come in. You know, we might have Joe Sanot come in and talk us oh! <laughs> about how he, you know, how he how he started his practice and you know what it takes and and etc. Um, but then the participants have. Every week, they have a 30-minute coaching session with their Praxis advisor where they are on the phone or Skype or whatever their preferred method is. And they're kind of working with them on, these are my goals for this week. And they're, and they're you know, the, the advisors are really there to sort of help keep them accountable, like a fitness coach would or, or something to that effect where they're there to help sort of push them, help them navigate their difficulties, help them set their goals and stick to them. So the first two months are all done basically digitally there's a virtual opening seminar which is like a three-day sort of intensive thing where you're doing a lot of video conferencing and you're doing workshops on public speaking and writing and, and things like that um so and then after that first two months the boot camp you start at your business partner and so for the next 10 months you're working about 30 hours a week uh you're getting paid ten dollars an hour which ends up coming out to um about covering the cost of tuition through the program so the net cost of the program is, is zero um you, you have to cover your cost of living. Um, sure. So real quick, before we get past the platform, 
So what platform do you use for the actual, like the course, the videos, the homework? Because I think a lot of people that are listening have the idea of someday they'd like to do some sort of virtual course on some counseling topic. So oh, like, what, do you, what do you use? Like what's like what's the startup cost for, say, launching an e-course, like a really simple e-course, not like Praxis style? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we looked at a whole ton of things and we ended up, we ended up building our own, which... Um, for a couple reasons. One, we wanted to be able to integrate it with our application process really easily. So once you're accepted, you automatically get login access to the to the back end and so that we can really easily manage and change what goes on back there. Um, but that said, it actually is pretty simple. Um, it is basically you log in and you have these, these modules um, and all the content there's, it'll tell you, you know, uh, here's this article it's two pages, or if it's a video, it's 20 minutes. Here's a short synopsis of it. And we've got, we've got everything sort of structured um, in categories and subcategories in kind of the way that we recommend going through it and consuming it. Um, and so it's, it's more or less a static list. I mean, it has some features to it um, that allow us to, to play around with it, but it, 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 it's not all that complex. Now, there are much easier ways to do this. I am not honestly current on what the latest are. I feel like all the time there's somebody putting together um, basically a platform where you can go and curate a bunch of content and put it together. And, and every time we looked at those, they always just felt like they added another hurdle that wasn't that wasn't adding enough value. So mm. I might say, let's say you are looking to put together a 30-day, uh, you know, e-course on some concept in in counseling or personal growth or something like that. I might say to do it over do it over email to have your mm. list of content, and then every week um, you get an email with here are the the five pieces this week and how long each of them take, and and then maybe you have. Because you want that interactivity and discussion and every place I looked that was like a third party where you go and you consume the content and then there's like a discussion board right there. It's not a part of people's everyday habits and lives where Facebook is. So we just have a private Facebook group. Yeah. That's where every day all the participants are discussing the content. Oh, did you guys watch that? You know, whatever, uh, Tim Ferriss video, or did you check out the, you know, and they're going back and forth on that. Um, and so we've kind of said, because my, my take is always don't build it if somebody's already built it. Um, and so we use Zoom because somebody already built it and it works really well. We use Facebook groups because it's it's already a part of people's daily life and they like to use it as a, as a way to discuss things. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're kind of trying to use tools that are that are already out there with the exception of our portal that you that you log into. And I had a, a web developer build that for me. Um, I, you know, it's hard to say what the portal would cost by itself because we had we had the whole sort of front end website and the application, and all that stuff built at the same time. But honestly, not not all that much um, to build something where people can have registered, you know, they can be registered users. They can log in and access a, a list of, of content formatted in various ways. I mean, you're probably talking about, you know, three to five grand if you get yeah. a, a young web developer who's who's, you know, able to put it together for you. 
Well, and if you already have a WordPress site, I just purchased Zippy courses, and uh, I'm going to be making some videos and some series for how yeah, to see, start I a private practice. You. Like you got, you're probably more up to date on some of this stuff. Well, I mean, I haven't launched um, the any of the courses yet. I have the consultant school that's coming out, but we're just, because of how many people are in that, we're actually just going to use the Facebook group and I'm going to upload the videos there and have the homework right there. Yep. Um, and then we're going to, I was, I was actually looking for a really good platform um, for our calls and Google Hangouts was the kind of thing that I was looking at, but zoom.us sounds like it's going to be what I'm using for the consultant school. So yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think it has some, some advantages over Google yeah. Hangouts. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So that's like kind of your platform stuff, some of the nuts and bolts. So then the individual goes through kind of their next 10 months getting paid 10 bucks an hour, getting the coaching. Um, and then what are you seeing when people graduate from Praxis? Yeah. So, um, we've had so far, we've had, uh, how many classes graduate? One, two, three, three, the three classes have graduated. So a total of, uh, 19, 19 people. Um, and they have all, uh, one ended up, well, actually that was after she, she got a full-time job. They've all gotten full-time jobs, uh, after the program, even those without a college degree. Um, most of them have been offered jobs from their business partner that they worked with during the Praxis program. Uh, and many of them accepted those offers. Others got jobs with other businesses in our network and a few got jobs, uh, just, you know, on their own. We sort of helped them through the job search component. Um, they're all doing very, very well. And even, like I said, even those without degrees, like there's one right now who's a VP of sales at a, um, a company that helps entrepreneurs publish books as a way to uh, bring in more customers. And, you know, he's, we got him a, a spot there during the program and they don't even normally take interns without a degree, but because of the relationship with Praxis, he went there, he killed it. He's doing phenomenally well. He's making uh, money that his friends who aren't going to graduate for a couple of years will hope to make in like five or five or six years. So, I mean, there's without the debt, <laughs> without the debt. Exactly. We've got one kid who's, who's 19 or yeah, he's 19. He was 18 when he did the program and he's working at BitPay, a, uh, a really cool venture backed, uh, Bitcoin company in Atlanta and, uh, working in the marketing department there. He was hired on full time after, after the program. So they're all doing really well. We had a uh, one, one went back to, to finish her degree and then one, um, worked for uh, a development company for about a year after the program and then went to grad school um, to a, to a really great program there to, to go on to be a sort of an urban developer. Um, but it's been, it's been really, really powerful just to see more than anything, the mindset shift when these young people sort of learn I'm in the driver's seat. I don't need to wait for permission or just wait until I have like, until I'm like, an expert or someone has said, now you are able to do this. I can create my own future. I can, I can sort of see myself as my own company, even if I'm working for someone else and go out there and, and build the kind of life that I want, um, without waiting for any, any, any official to say, now you are, you know, official and you're old enough to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and it's been, it's been really powerful. So we have a really strong alumni network. They're really actively engaged. They still come and join a lot of the group discussions. They're active on the Facebook group, which is, which is cool because they're helping the new participants kind of navigate the challenges of the, of the program. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to kind of switch to talking a little bit about personal branding, because I know you've got the Isaac Morehouse podcast and um, you had actually written an article that had, and, you know, I see your family stuff on Facebook, but um, my wife, Christina, had shared it with me, the article you wrote called Stop Doing Shit You Hate. Uh, and like, let's talk a little bit about personal branding and kind of that side of things, because I love kind of what you're doing in that arena. Yeah, um, I was I was 
gratuitously stealing from Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, he had a little <laughs> meme where he said, stop doing shit you hate. And, and uh, there was all these comments on it with people. I shared it and all these people were like, oh, that's not practical. So I sort of wrote an article to, to further defend that idea. Um, yeah, what do, you, what do you want to talk about, man? Well, well, maybe for the people that don't know Gary Vaynerchuk or don't know um, just that concept of stopping doing shit that you hate, <laughs> like take us through take us through your multi-step process. Of, yes, no, I, yes, I, like, yes. For my my I mean, I would say, yeah, I don't want to do stuff that I don't want to do, but like, what does that really mean? Yeah. So this is this is something that I've been huge on for a long time because I've kind of realized I've, I've interacted with even before Praxis. I've worked in a lot of roles where I'm, I'm kind of helping young people um, doing some career mentoring and things like that. And I think it's it's wonderful to say I want to do what I love. I want to follow my passion. And I don't I don't disagree with that. Um, and, and I hope that all of us can can do that as much as possible. But I think it's overwhelming if you're like 17, 18. I mean, heck, if you're 32 like me to say, what do I want to do? What's the one thing? What's my <laughs> calling? What's my passion, my love? And if you think about it, like what I'm doing now, I didn't know that this was a possibility 10 years ago. I don't I didn't know that it existed. No, I thought you were going to be a politician by now, like running the government. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I mean, I, I did, too, which is which is horrific to think about. But um, <laughs> but, you know, and just quick side note. So Isaac worked with some pretty powerful people in the state and also in the national politics. So it was a very realistic thing that by now he would have been going toe to toe with uh, Donald Trump. That, no, that was my I mean, politics was my you know, I, I had this. I mean, it's all it all comes from the same motivation. I love freedom. I want to help people live free lives, free and prosperous lives and live on their terms. And and so, you know, I'd visited a lot of poor countries and, and with really screwed up political institutions. So I thought, oh, well, OK, we got to get improve the political climate to um, bring about freedom. And I, I through a sort of a long process. I realized, OK, that that is not the way to go. Politics <laughs> followers, not leaders. And so I've sort of come to this place where innovating just instead of criticizing the world around you uh and and wishing it was different than it was build the kind of things that you wish existed um and uh. and, and help other young people realize their own entrepreneurial ability instead of saying i wish this was different i wish someone would do this like build it go out criticize by creating so that's kind of how i escaped the political mindset is, is that a isaacism criticized by creating well it's actually uh, i would love to take credit for it michelangelo is the one that that's typically attributed to Okay. It, it might be apocryphal, <laughs> but you can, if you want to attribute it to me, I will not <laughs> do. Um, I use it all the time. So, um, yeah. So, so on this, you know, doing, not doing stuff that you hate. So I feel like it's overwhelming to say, what do I want to do? What's my passion? Where am I going to go? Um, cause almost none of us know, and it's not like, you know, one thing. So I find the opposite approach to be much easier and more effective to say, what do I hate? What are the things that don't make me feel alive, that make me feel dead inside, that are draining my energy and my enjoyment of life? And you make a list of those. I mean, you can make a physical list if you want to or a mental list. OK, you know, for me, it's like uh, bookkeeping and accounting. Hate it. Never want, <laughs> never want to do it. Right. Um, so give it to your brother. Yes, exactly. Exactly. My brother runs a, runs a company that does that for businesses, um, including my own. And. You know, I mean, even in your personal life, like if there are certain people like, oh, every I hate, you know, talking with uncle. What's his name? It always makes me unhappy. Like, all right. Can you eliminate that? What, yeah. would, the, what would be the cost? And there, there are costs. Right. So, I mean, that, that's why we continue doing things like it's it's surprisingly hard to not do things you hate doing. It's amazing the number of things that we do. We just sort of put up with because being honest about the fact that they're making us unhappy and 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 acting on that can have a huge social cost. It can bring a lot of uncertainty. 
But that's really where the freedom comes from. And once you start to make a list of things you know you don't want to do, and every day you just work to avoid those. My goal every day is to do as few things that I hate as possible. Um, and once you do that, you find everything else is fair game and you start to get into your zone. Because the thing is, when you're doing things you're, you hate, you're, you're not super productive. You're not at your best. I mean, it's like, it's like the 80, 20 rule, right? And so instead of trying to find that 20% of things that are going to bring you the highest return, if that's too hard, look for the 80% that are not bringing you very much return at all and start to eliminate those outsource them. I mean, things as small as like, I'm all, I'm, I'm really frugal. And so I've mowed my lawn for years and I'm like, what am I doing? I hate it. It takes hours. I, it like even thinking about it, knowing I have to do it on Saturday drains the energy from my day. <laughs> So yeah. like, pay somebody 40 bucks, like outsource things. You know, I go to freelancer.com all yeah. the time and pay people like 50, a hundred bucks to do what would take me eight hours of data entry. If I have some little project here and there. And I think it's a mindset of realizing how much of your time you're doing things that you really don't enjoy. And once you start to eliminate those, it's pretty amazing what happens. So that's what I tell young people that we work with all the time. Like, don't, don't worry about finding what you love. Just don't do things that you hate. You hate life is too short. And, and especially when the payoff is totally vague, like, Oh, I hate, you know, I'm in law school. It's terrible. I hate it, but I think I'll probably make a bunch of money someday. Well, do you actually want to be a lawyer? I don't know. Do you think you'll enjoy it? Probably not. I don't know. Like, (laughs) you know, well, don't do things you hate. So, well, it's like, and I think in the counseling world, like so often when I'm doing consulting with people, like they'll say, well, you know, I just don't want to be on Twitter. Then don't be on Twitter. Yes. Like, or they're like, I'm so visual, like, but nobody's on Instagram or Pinterest that like are my clients. And I'm like, well, but if you love that, then you'll find the people and attract the people that are on there as well. Like do the things that you love and that fill you up. And then if you have all this extra energy, you can go onto the things you hate later. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's amazing too, how I love the way you put that. The things you do will fill you up. It's activities that you love. I mean, they're, they're work in a sense. They're, they, they're a drain in some senses, but they fill you up so much. You know, I love to write and I feel like if I write every day, every day I write and I publish a blog post and I do this, I publish a blog post every day. Then the minute I click publish, I have tangibly accomplished something. I, I've, I've chosen to create something and turn creativity into a discipline instead of something that just comes and goes as it pleases. And now I feel amazing. I feel like I can take on the world the rest of the day because so many of the things that I do in my normal day, they don't have a publish button. I'm never done. Right. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. You're building a business. Most of the things it's not like, OK, I'm going to sit down and finish this. They're just ongoing and having at least one thing where you can be like created that wrapped it up and shipped it. Man, that gets me going. So even though it takes me 30 minutes a day or an hour a day to write a blog post every day and you could say that's valuable time, what it gives me it gets me on a high. It gets like, it's like Adderall for me, you know, it gets me dialed in the rest of the day and it fills me up. So, so then how does that, like, so you do a blog post every day. That's an amazing discipline. Uh, Tell me about the podcast. Tell me about like, how are you going to be monetizing or are you seeking to monetize the blog and the podcast and like what, how, what's that in the steps for you professionally? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's a great, um, it's really interesting. So I, I would say, the reason I was even able to get Praxis off the ground with, you know, sort of basically a, a shoestring and, and really just get it from zero to our first class of six participants uh, in a very short period of time, which is very small, but it's growing since then. And, and I think it was necessary to like 
bring something into existence and prove it. The only reason I was able to do that was because for years I had been really active on Facebook and I blog and I write articles for third parties here and there. And I'll go and give talks about, you know, various things, mostly to, to high school students and college students. And so I had a little bit, very, very small and within a very small niche of a brand of, of some what I call social capital that I had built up with my network. And so when I launched Praxis, I could sort of call on them and say, share this, tell your friends, check it out. And I could sort of lean on the goodwill I had built by basically giving away my writing and things like that and, and speaking for free for years to kind of get Praxis rolling. Okay, so fast forward to now, there's sort of two sides. There's there's Isaac Morales, the individual, and there's Praxis. And they're very, very married and interlocked. And I want them to be because as my brand grows, I want that to grow Praxis and vice versa. Mm. Um, but they're sort of separate entities. So if you go to discoverpraxis.com, we have a blog there. And there's a, a blog post pretty much every weekday um, by somebody on the Praxis team or a guest blogger really about the concepts and topics that are, that are relevant to Praxis. Uh, and I write there regularly. But I also have IsaacMorehouse.com, where I blog every day, as I mentioned, and some of those are just really short. Um, and and then I launched a weekly podcast. And the podcast, we talk about a lot of the ideas that motivate Praxis, entrepreneurship and education and sort of living, uh, you, you know, living life on your own terms. But I mean, it's an exploration into anything that interests me. And mm. and I found and I, and I don't and I don't sit there. And when I write, too, and I, and I write articles, um, you know, to, for medium.com a lot and some other third parties. When I write, I found that I, it drains me if I have to sit there and try to scientifically manage like, okay, what, how am I going to optimize the most clicks and views? And how am I going to, I just have to write, and especially when you do it every day, you don't have time. I have to write what I'm feeling in the moment, sort of what, what is coming out, what feels true to me. And with the podcast, I explore what's interesting to me. That's my only criteria. And I'm so confident that because Praxis is really everything that I live and breathe, I'm so confident that my interests are going to align so well that as my podcast grows and more and more people like that, that only enhances Praxis. You know, we mention it, we talk about it in the show that overlaps a lot. The number of people who have applied to the program because they read an article on Medium, clicked on my home homepage, saw the podcast, listened to a few episodes, and somewhere in there heard Praxis mentioned three or four times, went to the Praxis site, saw a lot of really cool content there, followed it for six months, and then applied. Like, that's a really typical process. So um, I kind of see my own brand as a way to really enhance uh, the Praxis brand and vice versa. Does that does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it totally does. And it's it's a mindset shift that I think I probably made about six months ago of just trying to follow my curiosity more. And I heard um, Elizabeth Gilbert, she was getting interviewed by Rob Bell on his new podcast a few months ago. And she was talking about how as a writer, she just tries to follow her curiosity. And, you know, even interviewing someone like you on the Practice to the Practice podcast, so often people would just say, oh, no, he's doing something different than counseling. But to me, it's like I want to talk to interesting people. I want to hear their stories. I want to try to how are their links between like the marketing that IsaacMorehouse.com and DiscoverPraxis.com and Practice to the Practice, like how do they all intersect like I'm that makes me like fascinated and so like for me I just think that it's been a part of embracing my own personal brand that it's genuinely just I'm interested in this stuff and if people like it then they'd probably like me and if they wouldn't then they probably wouldn't like me and so it, it's clarifying who probably should listen to this podcast and who probably should turn it off yeah yeah well you know I, I think I like to, to think about what are the things that you can have a complete monopoly on. And, and I don't mean the word monopoly in like the negatives, like guy wearing a monocle and like, <laughs> you know, trying to 
keep competitors away. I mean it in the positive sense, something that is so unique to you, no one could replicate it even if they want. So there's there's some set of skills that you have that a lot of other people have, right? You can type certain number of words per minute, you can write, you can crunch numbers, you can do things. Those are all fine, those are all valuable skills, but your real sweet spot is the thing that no one else in the world can do quite like you. And it's really interesting actually to ask your close friends, what do you think is my most unique value and attribute? Because often you don't know what it is because to you, it doesn't seem valuable because it's just second nature. Whereas to your friends, that aspect of you is the most valuable thing in the world. And that's often highly monetizable. It's highly valuable to other people, even if you don't, if you don't recognize it. But so when you think about that, it helps you realize being sort of true to yourself you know, if you follow what interests you and you bring on guests and topics on this podcast that are that are that really speak to you, you will start to dial in to that thing that only you have. You will bring out information. You'll bring something to the table that no one else can replicate. Um, and that's where the most value is. That's where you make the, the greatest returns and create the most value for yourself in the world. Well, and, you know, you said your closest friends say that even before we just started this podcast, when you said to me, like, practice of the practice lines up so well with, like, who you are, like, you lead leaders. And I'd never thought of myself as someone who led leaders. But, I mean, like, you're a close friend that recognizes that. Yes. And yep. So it's, it's just it, like, huh, yeah, it, get, sure. No, it's amazing. And, and you often think, like, oh, well, I don't know. I can't be an entrepreneur. I don't have anything to offer. I'm a specialist with a specific skill set. And you, it's easy to see the thing that's in your job title as what you have that's valuable to the world. Okay, I'm a counselor. I can counsel people. That's the way that I'll earn money. That's that's what I bring to the table. When you start asking people, I asked uh, my good friend, uh, who's, who's also our education director, TK Coleman, I asked him, TK, like, what do you think is my most unique thing that's, that's valuable that I bring to the table? And he said, you help people you, you make people feel like they're, the obstacles to their dreams are tiny and it's totally easy to overcome them. And I thought, well, that's just, you know, that's just like my personality. That's nothing. And he's like, do you have any idea how valuable that is to people? How much people are willing to, you know, go after and give up to, to, to seek that and gain that and, and really practice is sort of the incorporated version of that, of that idea. And that, that was not something I was conscious of at the time, but I think being aware of that stuff, that really helps you tap into that. So, so you can ask yourself, Joe, at any given time, how much time am I spending doing the thing that I'm so uniquely good at helping, you know, leading the leaders, helping people, you know, who have the potential to help others do it better, do it more effectively, do it with more, you know, more leverage. And how much time am I spending sort of being the specialist or doing things that others can do more easily? You want to be in that sweet spot where you're spending the majority of your energy and time doing something that no one else could do. Uh. Man, I feel like we have to like put on a webinar or something together and like go farther with this because this should. Th this podcast is not enough time for us to like just let our friendship and creative juices flow. Um, so it is. I, I'm actually sad to ask this question because I want to just like keep talking for hours. But well, I'm gonna uh, bring you was... on to my podcast. <laughs> okay, do part two. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. So if every counselor in the world were listening right now, what would you want them to know? Hmm. That's, that's tough. So I'm, I'm not incredibly familiar with uh, counselors outside of yourself and a few others uniquely, but I would say kind of a reiteration of, of what I just said. To ask yourself every day, what am I doing that is stuff, that's noise, that's not bringing me energy, but that's bringing me down? And what can I do every day to eliminate or reduce that some amount, even if it's just a small amount. And, and I think 
thinking of it in terms of at least one thing every day instead of some big giant lofty goal that you're going to achieve over a year or five years. For me, that's really, really helpful. Like, because you know, you think of compounding interest, if I improve myself by 1% every day, that's a ridiculous turn over, over time return as it compounds. And it's so much more tangible and doable. If I can say, what is, what is one way today I can reduce the amount of time I'm spending on things that don't bring me joy, that, that bring me down. Um, it's really tangible and it's doable and it will start you on a process where the momentum just sort of becomes unstoppable. And before long, you'll be uh, enjoying damn near every minute of your life. <laughs> damn near. That's right. <laughs> so Isaac, if people want to connect with you, uh, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah. So IsaacMorehouse.com, um, you know, I've got a lot of info there, but uh, check out discoverpraxis.com if you're specifically interested in the program as well. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And Praxis is spelled P-R-A-X-I-S. Is that correct? You got it. All right. And you also have a giveaway for my audience, right? Yes, that's right. There's a free ebook uh, called The Future of School, which is really kind of, it, it entails my personal story, some of the stuff we talked about here, but it also it's sort of the philosophy of education and career development that Praxis is built on. So if you go to thefutureofschool.com, you can have a uh, download a free copy. Man, and I think about if you're blogging every single day, I mean, that's like the dude that is so ripped at the gym and you're like, I, I bet that he knows what he's talking about. And so if you've got a book, it, it's phenomenal, I'm, I'm sure. So I can't wait to download it myself and read it. Thanks so much, Isaac Morehouse, for being on the show. And I know this isn't the end of our collaboration. And you guys head on over to Practice of the Practice. And in the show notes there, you'll be able to have links to all the different things we talked about, Praxis, some of the books we talked about, the podcast, the Tim Ferriss podcast, Zoom, all that stuff we chatted about. We'll be over there at Practice of the Practice. And uh, Isaac, we'll chat more soon. Hey, thanks so much, Joe. It was a blast. See ya.